You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the US. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you are listening to your favorite international podcast. The podcast hosted by two women who never met in real life, the podcast with the smartest listeners, and the podcast that was voted the best female-hosted podcast in 2021. I still can't believe that. Speaking (laughs) of which, starting from 1st of July, so from Friday this week, you will be able to vote for us once more in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. This year, we hope to be nominated in three categories, which is true crime, which... Let's face it, that's a tough category to be in. Yeah, I think, didn't, I, I keep putting the say Lisa Simpson's podcast one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Small town dicks, yeah. yeah. Mm. Best female hosted and my personal dream category, the one that I really want to take home, best history podcast. Mm. Uh, that's my new podcast goal, receive an award as best history podcast. I think that's my dream now. Yeah, we do force history on you in every episode, whether you want it or not, so... We will give you more information about that and how voting will work at the end of this episode and in all the upcoming episodes until the polls will be closed. So thank you so much for your support in advance. Yeah, we are honestly just so far beyond grateful. None of this would have ever happened without all of you out there listening and supporting us, sending us messages and sharing our content with your friends and family. Mm. We are so grateful. And we'd love to give a huge shout out to our newest Patreon members, Neen H. and Haley Cowan. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I think that is all of the business we need to take care of for now. So let's get into today's episode because it is part two of the... Is, am I going to pronounce it correctly? It is part two of the Gerda murders. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please pause right now. Like, right now. Yeah, stop. Stop right now. Just stop it. Go back to episode 158, The Gerda Murders Part 1, because otherwise you will probably not know what's going on in this episode. And for those of you who have already listened but need a kind of refresher, here's a super quick recap. It was in the summer of 1989 in the Gerda, a national state forest in Lower Saxony, not far from Hamburg, where over the course of two months, two couples were found dead. Both couples were murdered in an almost identical manner, as far as the investigators could tell. The so-called Gerda murders were all over the newspapers, and on TV there was a big reward for any leads, and over 10,000 people were interviewed. But the murderer, or murderers, could not be found. For a short while, the investigators thought that the Gerda murders could be connected to a similar crime that also took place in the summer of 1989, But this one happened in Wales. Ultimately, this theory was thrown out as well. So the case went cold. The murder of Ursula and Peter Reinhold, as well as of Ingrid Warmbier and Bernd Michael Köpping, could not be found. The Gerda murders became a web sleuth phenomena, but they stayed unsolved. And that's where we have left off last week. One of the most important sources for this episode was the documentary Dig Deeper uh, that is available on Netflix, but all the sources as always, will be listed in the according Facebook album. Also, I will be mentioning sexual assault and suicide in this episode. 
So, Annie, do you have any questions so far? Not yet, I don't think. No, I'm sure I will as we go on, but so far, so good. All right. So, today we need to talk about Birgit Meyer. She was a photographer who lived with her husband Harald and their daughter in Lüneburg, which is a city 50 kilometers or 31 miles southeast of Hamburg, or 35 kilometers, uh, 21 miles northwest of Görde. Birgit and Harald had met in the late 60s when they were in their early 20s. Harald was working as a print technician, I think that's what it's called in English. You know, the, the people who work the printing machines for the newspapers. And, yeah. Typesetter, yeah, exactly. Mm. I knew what you meant, though. And Birgit had started to work there as a young photographer. And they pretty soon did hit it off. They liked each other a lot. They were a very handsome couple. And they started a relationship and Birgit got pregnant. And this was in the late 60s. I think it must have been 68 or somewhere around that time. And the couple decided that getting married was the right thing to do. I think that was pretty much the only option they had. Oh, yeah. Back then. For sure. And my next words are solely based on Harald's interviews in the documentary. I get the feeling kind of, that he was not super thrilled about starting a family so early in life. Uh, he was worried that his career would come to an end before it even started. And I don't know, Harald was a very hardworking man. He managed to start his own company, but he did admit that he might have kind of neglected his family way too much. Mm. And ultimately, Harald realized that the marriage was not what he wanted for his life. And in the mid-80s, the couple separated. Harald moves out of the family home and into his own apartment. I think around 89, when this case takes place, their daughter is in her late teens or early, early 20s and is already living on her own. And it looks as if for a while the separation was extremely hard for Birgit and she started to overindulge on alcohol. Mm. And that's... I don't mean it as a judgment at all, because I've been through a divorce and it's so unbelievably hard when you have the feeling your whole whole life, you know, that you built for yourself and with your husband crumbles before you. And I definitely was partying uh, too much and drinking a bit too much for a while there mm. as well. Everyone around Birgit would later state that Birgit seemed to have truly loved her husband, that he was the love of her life. So it must have been extremely hard. But by the summer of 1989, she seemed to have turned her life around. She was looking for a new house, and she was excited to furnish it. The relationship between her and Harald also seemed to have returned to be on friendly terms. It was the 14th of August, 1989, and that evening Harald was supposed to come over to the house to talk to his wife about their upcoming divorce and the settlement. I think she was supposed to move out of the house, but uh, she was also supposed to get half a million D-mark. Harald later said that he was over there for roughly 30 minutes. He remembered that Birgit was sober and that she looked very pretty, like she had, you know, put makeup on and, and a nice dress. And he wasn't sure uh, if she did it because he was coming over, but he didn't think so because nothing indicated that. Uh, so he asked her if she had other plans for the evening and she was kind of... Um, Cagey. You know, kind of... Yeah, yeah. So the next morning, 15th of August, 1989... Birgit's daughter tried to contact her mother, but she couldn't reach her, and so she drives over to the house to check on her. And when she arrives, she notices a couple of things that are a bit off. First of all, the curtains are still closed, and apparently her mother had the habit of opening the curtains as soon as she got up. 
Then she saw that one of her mother's cats was outside the house and the other one was still inside, which was very weird. It would always be inseparable. And that the terrace door was open. And she also noticed that her mom's car was there. And so the daughter went into the house. She was calling her mom's name, but she was a little bit worried to, you know, to stumble upon something really bad. Of course. She didn't get any reply. Nobody was home and she checked everywhere. And yeah, Birgit was not there. So the young woman calls her dad and she's asking him if he knew where Birgit was. And he says he thinks she had plans of going to a furniture store. But of course, that was very unlikely because the car was home. So next, she decides to call her uncle, which is Birgit's brother, a man named Wolfgang Silaf. Wolfgang Silaf was not only Birgit's brother, he was also working for the law enforcement in Hamburg. From 1989 to 1997, he was the head of the Hamburg State Criminal Police Office and Hamburg's deputy chief of police. Okay, so... That makes even more sense than they would call him. It's a family member and he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. I would have done the same. Yeah. So he listens to his niece and he decides to call the investigators in Lüneburg. And he tells them, listen, you probably already know my sister is missing. Please do me the favor. Treat the house like you already know for sure that this is a crime scene. So they carefully check the house. They don't find any signs of a struggle or forced entry. They do find a shoe print in the garden, I think close to the terrace door. They do figure out which clothes are missing, which is a nightgown uh, and some other clothes, a shirt, a green jumpsuit, like a summery jumpsuit, pair of shoes, her keys, her glasses, her watch and her ID. And they do find an ashtray with two different brands of cigarettes in it. One is Birgit's brand of cigarette that she used to smoke and the other one is a different one, which obviously is a sign that probably a visitor was over, right? And I'm not sure if Harald was a smoker. I don't think he was. But there's no trace of Birgit, so she's gone. Just vanished. And they do ask the neighbors if they noticed something off, and one neighbor stated that around 2am that night, when, you know, that previous night, uh, she had troubles falling asleep, because there was a car outside with the motor running. And that car was there for quite a while. Two weeks after Birgit has gone missing, her ID is found at the central mail office in Hamburg. So someone must have thrown the card into a mailbox in the northeast of Hamburg. Oh, right. Yeah, the same thing happens here, too. I think if you find a driver's license, I think you can just drop it in the mailbox. I think that's brilliant. I have a little story time for you. The same thing happened to me one time. So I was looking for my passport, you know, in the usual drawer. Couldn't find it. Looked through all my bags, all the other places. Nothing. Couldn't find it. And I was trying to remember where I had used it the last time. And it was, I think, a couple of weeks uh, prior to that at the post office. So I went there and I asked if I had left my passport there and they didn't have it. And I don't know if you have that in the States, but in Vienna, we have a city run lost and found. And the super cool thing is that you can go online on their webpage and search for your stuff. Maybe you're lucky and someone found it and dropped it, you know, with the lost and found. And wouldn't you know it, my passport was there and somebody had found it far away from the from the post office so i didn't forget it there i must have dropped it oh wow and uh the person dropped it in a mailbox nice and that's how i got my passport back and when you think about it i think that's pretty smart because many people might not want to take time out of their day to bring it to you know lost and found or to the police station but mailboxes are everywhere it's not an inconvenience to do that yeah that was lucky too because replacing a passport is a giant pain in the ass 
No, it's pretty easy here. You just drop off the paperwork uh, with the photo. Uh, you pay, I think, 90 euros. Yeah. And then like two days later, you they send it to you either via mail or you pick it up. Oh, nice. Whatever you prefer. Yeah, no, it takes longer here. All right. So they find her ID. So somebody picked up her ID, but that's not really, that's not going to be that helpful, I guess. What I think happened is someone must have found it and thought that the best thing would be to drop it in the mailbox. And I doubt it was the murderer himself, because why would he ever do that? Yeah. The only possible reason I could think of is that he wanted to make it look as if Birgit had been to Hamburg. I mean, that's possible. Oh, right. Anyway, of course, the police did check for fingerprints, but nothing really came of it. Uh, yeah, no, especially having gone through the mail, right? Like like you just said, there's no reason that anybody in the mailroom would have thought that this yeah. card was involved in a missing persons case. So everybody would have been Who knows, handsy yeah. with this Who touched? Yeah, mm, piece of evidence. Exactly. Yeah. So now, obviously, the investigators and Birgit's family, they have a lot of thoughts and theories about what could have happened to Birgit. The first thought is, well, maybe she ran off. And I don't know why they got the idea, but they thought the first country that came up was Mexico. Uh, or some other country in Central or South America. I think maybe because it's a cliche over here that you're I'm gonna run off to Mexico. Right. Like I say that all the time. I think that is a. <laughs> I think that's a cliche everywhere. <laughs> Just disappear in Mexico. But her family doubts it. She would have never left her kids. But most importantly, she would have never left her daughter, especially without a letter, without any explanation. Any, I know we talked about this in the past. How we understand people who want to just, you know run off and start over. Start over, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yes, there are people who do this, but I think our families would know immediately that we would not just have run immediately, off. Yeah. We wouldn't leave our loved ones behind worrying and we wouldn't leave our dogs, never. And so I can totally understand Birgit's family who say that there is no chance in hell that Birgit ran off to Mexico. No, absolutely. Yeah, there's just no way. There's no way. The next theory is that Birgit died by suicide and that they would probably find her body during harvest season so that she's somewhere in a cornfield or something like that. Mm. Again, her family really doubts that Birgit would do that. Wolfgang Silaf has another theory, one of his own. He was worried that his sister could have been targeted by members of organized crimes uh, to get back at him because, remember, he was this very high-ranking police officer and he was responsible for being very efficient in taking down organized crime. So that's also a possibility. Yeah. Of course, uh, the media immediately thinks that there could be a connection to the Gerda murders. I mean, they took place in the same summer, in the same area as Birgit's disappearance. But the police sees absolutely no connection because they are still not even certain that she was the victim of a crime after all. I assume you can all guess the next theory. The husband. Yeah, of course, the husband. They were having a divorce. He promised her 500,000 D-Mark. That could be a reason for murdering someone or making someone disappear. Uh, there were rumors that Birgit had hinted at having some information about Harald that could really harm him, that would get him to jail. I think eight months earlier, one of the company's printing presses had caught fire and burned down a huge part of the building. Huge damage. Uh, it was estimated around 9 million D-Mark. And, of course, the police had the thought that, you know, maybe it was a case of insurance fraud and that Birgit knew about it and had threatened to out him and, you know, to call the police on him. So they looked into that possibility. But the investigators learned that it was very unlikely as Harald's company was wildly successful. 
he never had any money trouble. In fact, the 500,000 D-Mark that he had promised um, Birgit in the settlement was the tax return he got that year. So it was not that big of a deal for him to give her that kind of money. That's a lot of money. Mm. But yeah, of course, many, many people suspected the husband and the investigators interrogated Harald for many, many hours. They suggested that he didn't mean it, that he had lost his temper, that he had then tried to cover it up, that he had put her body into his Porsche, that he was driving to the Baltic Sea where he had a boat, and that's the way he got rid of his wife's body. Oh boy. I mean, he was the last one who saw her that evening. When you look at his interviews, he, he's... I don't know. I mean, obviously people can hide the, the true feelings, and but he seems... Like truly a gentle and polite and nice person. Yeah. And all, all this time he always tried to help and, and try to find his wife. So, But we're going to get to that later. Okay. Still, everybody started to gossip, you know, the neighbors, the acquaintances, the employees. But apparently one person never really believed that Harald was a suspect, and that's Wolfgang Silaf. Uh, even though he said he couldn't be 100% sure, because, I mean, he was a police officer after all. Yeah. He can't ever say that's that no chance in hell. But he said he never had the feeling that his brother-in-law had done anything to his sister. And I think that says a lot about Harald's yeah, character, if, if your brother-in-law is kind of your, on your side. Yeah, absolutely. Wolfgang Silov also said that he had never seen them fight about money. And Harald said about Birgit that she was like a real friend to him, one that he could always rely on. And I assume that, of course, the separation was painful, especially when Birgit realized that Harald was in a new relationship. But I don't get the feeling that they were really mad at each other in the end or that they hated each other. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. I mean, despite how it's portrayed in television dramas, I think most of the people I know have, have pretty good relationships with their ex. Mm. Not everyone hates their ex. Sometimes there are exes worth, yeah. worth loathing, but for the most part, definitely, you know, you'd hope that they're... They're people with lots of fine qualities, which is why you were drawn to them in the first place, and maybe things don't work out, but give it a little time and, yeah, be friends. So then, a few months after Birgit's disappearance, the family had the first real lead, and it was something that a friend of Birgit told Harald. She said that Birgit had told her about a new lover, someone she had met through her neighbor. Uh, he had worked for the neighbor as a gardener. And when Harald hears that, he remembers he has met the neighbor's gardener once at a party. Uh, he was a slender man, blonde hair, kind of good-looking, quiet and polite. But he also remembers something else about the gardener. His eyes. He remembers they were cold, terrifying, and kind of observing everyone. Well, I don't like that at all. No. The gardener's name is Kurt Werner Wichmann. Wichmann was born on 8th of July, 1949. So in 1989, he was 40 years old. His childhood and youth uh, were not great. His father was apparently abusive towards his family, so his wife and uh, all his children. Wichmann had a couple of siblings and half-siblings. Wichmann himself had a very close relationship to one of his brothers. The young boy was often living in reformatories, and he was not an unknown to the judicial system. At age 14, he was arrested for the first time. At that time, his parents had lodgers in their house, um, a family, husband, wife, and a baby. At that time, Kurt Werner Wichmann was once more living away from home. 
I think he was home for Christmas vacation and he didn't want to go back to the reformatory. And so he decided to run away from home and he tried to get some money. And so in the middle of the night, the female lodger awoke. She's alone at home with the baby. And she awakes because she felt something on her neck. It was Wichmann who was standing over her trying to strangle her. He also threatened her with a knife. Uh, and then the baby started crying. And then he ran off. At age 16, he was the suspect in a murder case. A woman riding her bike was shot four times in the back with a small caliber gun. And eyewitnesses saw a young men fleeing the crime scene and the description did fit Wichmann. But the case could never be solved, even though they did find a small caliber gun with him and newspaper clippings about the murder in Wichmann's possession. That was in 1965. In 1970, he was sentenced for rape. He had offered a ride to a hitchhiker and then he attacked her, raped her and tried to strangle her. The hitchhiker managed to convince him to let her go. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for his huge ego. So the story about the rape had ended up in a newspaper. And of course, Wichmann had read the article. But apparently there was something in the article that he deemed to be incorrect. Something that painted him in a bad light in his opinion. And so he marched to the nearest police station to set the record straight. He was sentenced to five and a half years. And I think he spent a little bit over three years in jail for that crime. And that was the man that worked for um, Birgit's neighbor, right? And had been having a relationship with Birgit? Yeah, of course, they didn't know anything about Wichmann's past, yeah. right? At the time Birgit Meyer disappeared, Kurt Werner Wichmann lived in his childhood home. So that was the house that he had inherited from his parents. Uh, he was living there with his wife. His main job was as a gardener at a cemetery. Uh, what's also kind of interesting, the house Wichmann lived in was only a short drive from Goethe, roughly 30 kilometers or 19 miles. Oh boy. All right. Well, I don't like where this is going. I mean, where I mm. think it's going. I do have one question. Now that you kind of hint at the possibility that he was maybe involved, had something to do with the Goethe murders, that all happened two months before Birgit disappeared. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So the first couple disappeared end of May, and the second one mid of July. Right. And you said last week that the police were checking out some of the people in the area who had already had a record of violent crime. Mm, correct, yeah. So was this guy checked out? Like, did they look into him? They actually did, but they discarded him as a suspect because you remember the identikit drawing they had yes. made based on what the blueberry pickers had reported? Yeah. So... That description didn't mention the suspect wearing glasses, but Kurt Werner Wichmann was wearing glasses, at least when the police checked him out. Did anyone, like, redraw the identikit with glasses? Please tell me they took into account how different some people can look when they're wearing glasses. Like, the moose looks like a completely different moose when she's not wearing glasses. Or they could have just asked him to take his glasses off, but no, basically they were just like, okay, yeah, and, and he said he was either working, but that's not true that, that day when the second couple was murdered. So, okay. yeah, he didn't appear to be a suspect for okay. them. Mm. So, Harald hears that his wife did have an affair with this man. He doesn't know anything of the criminal past, because I think otherwise, who? And he tells his brother-in-law, and of course they inform the investigators, and Wichmann is asked to come in to be questioned, which he does on 26th of October 1989. 
he's wearing tinted glasses and he's wearing gloves and he says that's because of allergies or he has some kind of fungal <laughs> infection on his hands. It's it's very weird. Yeah, that's fine. I guess he didn't want to leave any fingerprints behind right. at the police station, right? Yeah. Mm. He's like, sorry, sorry about these giant, heavy, sweaty gloves. I'm just wearing them to cover up the creeping rash on my hands. Because <laughs> if there's one thing that'll make that feel better, it's a leather glove. I think he was wearing, like, this kind of white fabric, you know, this oh, like kind of Howard Hughes like glove. <laughs> he's just, he's just yeah. casually strolling around the police department, just, like, checking for dust here and there. Casually, as you do <laughs> during an interrogation. This fucking guy. Horrible. He's the worst. I really hope he's he is the worst and I'm not making fun of someone innocent. <laughs> With a fungal It'll infection. The first time. It's not your fault you had a fungal infection. All right. Okay, so they ask him if he knows Birgit Meyer, and he's like, yes, he knows her. He met her twice during parties in the neighbor's house. One time was, you know, the time when Harald Meyer remembered seeing mm -hmm. him. And his dead shark eyes. Eyes cold. And the other time was a while later, and that evening Birgit got so drunk that Wichmann had to carry her home and put her into bed. But he denies that he ever had any kind of romantic or sexual relationship Uh, with her, he's a very happily married man. So happy. Just apart from that rash, everything is great. So they ask him about his whereabouts on 14th and 15th of August, and he states that he, he, he can't prove exactly where he was at that time, but all he ever does is go to work. And then he's just at home, he never leaves the house, except for 15 minutes every evening to walk his dog. Poor dog. Uh, his wife verifies the statement, and pretty much that was good enough for the police, and they ruled him out as a suspect in the disappearance of Birgit Meyer. I think the biggest problem might have been that they were too focused on the husband as a suspect. It might. It might have clouded their judgment. Except for one police officer, he kept insisting that Harald as a suspect made no sense, and he was very vocal about thinking Wichmann should be looked at closer. Right, but do they do they look closer? They don't. They don't look closer. No, not at first. Nothing more happens. Weeks go by, months, years. Many still gossip. They whisper about Harald Meyer murdering his wife. I mean, can you imagine? This must have been so horrible. The way people look at you for years. Yes. Yeah. And your daughter, like they had a daughter together. So that must have been so painful for her to hear the mm. accusations, because I'm assuming even though things didn't work out with her parents, she would know that her father wouldn't be capable of that kind of thing. The case is also featured in Aktenzeichen XY Ungelost, I think in 1990. But other than that, no new developments. Until 1993. A new district attorney is appointed, and Wolfgang Silov sees his chance to get the case rolling again. Uh, he and the one investigator I mentioned before, they are still convinced that they should have looked closer at Kurt Werner Wichmann, especially after they learn, you know, about his past. The new district attorney agrees that there is enough circumstantial evidence that allows her to initiate criminal proceedings against Wichmann. And so finally, in 1993, so almost four years after Birgit Meyer went missing, Wichmann's house is searched. And when the police gets there, his wife opens the door. Wichmann is not home. But they do reach him on the phone and they are informing him about the search warrant. Oh no, so they... 
they call him from his house and they're like, hey, we're at your house? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, Wichmann is now kind of warned. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to be over in a minute. Just uh, wait for me. On my way. But uh, yeah, he, he's not. <laughs> I mean, he's on the way, but in the other direction, yeah. he's on the wow. run now. So at his house, the police finds a locked door. The door is soundproofed, you know, with this kind of leather padding outside. And they ask Wichmann's wife, hey, what about that room? And she's, um, well, that's, that's my husband's private room. I'm not allowed to go in there. Just my husband himself and his brother are allowed to go in. And only my husband has a key. Oh, I mean, that's normal. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's like Bluebeard. Didn't he have also a room where he had all the heads? Oh, Something like that? I think so. The door is locked, but I mean... That doesn't stop the police. They break the door open and they enter the private room, or they call it the secret room. They find something. They find a lot of stuff. They find weapons, ammunition, knives, handcuffs. Uh, One pair of handcuffs showed traces of what appeared to be blood on them. They find newspaper clippings of different crimes. They find a lot of pornographic material, um, SM pornographic material mostly. They find ropes, they find chains, they find NS propaganda material. They find syringes with uh, anesthetics. Oh, Jesus. was like this sea of incriminating material and the investigators had to swim through. They bring in cadaver dogs and they are looking for bodies and buried weapons on the property. And they do find something. Not a body, but something else. They do find a buried car. I'm sorry, a car? Mm-hmm. A whole ass buried car. No. And in it, they find possible traces of blood, and one of the cadaver dogs is barking at the trunk. And we all know oh, that's not good. what that could possibly mean. That's not good, exactly. No, no. I mean, I think we all agree that nobody buries a car if there is no very valid reason for it. You want to hide it because you did something bad. I mean, so probably, but I think there have been cases of people finding cars in their backyards here. My old neighbors at my last house found an old washing machine, like a giant washing machine from the 1960s buried in the backyard. So people did use to bury large things to avoid having to like pay to have them hauled away. Oh, I wanted to say that it was a new car. The car was one year old and it was a very rare car. It was a Ford. So an American car, which was very unusual for the time. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we have to say that that Wichmann was uh, very into cars. He always liked to drive fancy cars. The car wasn't old and he tried to get rid of it. Let's say Right. It It wasn't Mm -hmm. some old jalopy that had been buried there for 50 years already. No. Okay. Now they are looking for Kurt Werner Wichmann and... He's on the run, but he's polite enough to call uh, Silov's office and he informs them that he has nothing to do with his sister's disappearance. And Silov is like, oh, well, thank you. If you say so, we will just, you know, let it go. It's fine. (laughs) No, of course, this man is now their number one suspect. The audacity that he called there. He also called Harald Meyer and threatened (sighs) him. Like, it's not the last time you're going to hear of me, something like that. Like... Jesus, wow. the audacity. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah. So he's their suspect. And I don't know, they seem to be a bit lax, though, because there's no uh, arrest warrant out for him. He even manages to return to his house several times without being caught. One time he's even stopped by the police because he drives a car that he himself had reported stolen a while ago. 
And of course, the police is like, why are you in that car that you reported stolen? And he comes up with some lame excuse that he tried to hide some, some affair from his wife or something like that. They're just like, all right, and they let him drive off. Who are these people? Why? <laughs> I'd argue that a lot went wrong with this whole case. Like, oh, I don't know. 50 days. Kurt Werner Wichmann is on the run for 50 days until 15th of April 1993, when a car accident finally stops him. The police that is being called to report the accident takes a closer look at Wichmann's car, thank God, finally, and they find weapons and cash and they arrest him because of all the weapons he has in his car. They don't even know that this man has been wanted as a suspect in a possible murder case. I say possible because there's still no body found. And as I said, there was no arrest warrant out for him. Like, I don't understand. At least Wichmann is now under arrest. But before he can be charged with anything, before he can even be questioned, Kurt Werner Wichmann dies by suicide. He hangs himself in his cell. And that's it. The investigations are immediately stopped. Birgit Meyer's case is closed. The evidence suggests that if she was the victim of a crime, chances are high that Kurt Werner Wichmann maybe had something to do with it. That's it? That's not it. There's... There's... <laughs> That's it? No. According to German law, you can't investigate a deceased suspect. I'm not sure how it is in Austria. That's actually the first time I hear of something like that. And I checked it and... From what I could figure out, the law in Germany states that investigating a deceased suspect infringes on their personal rights. I would have thought those would end when, when mm -hmm. you're dead. But also, you know, investigating you after your death could, of course, prove that you are likely guilty of something, but it could just as easily totally exonerate you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as long as the person doing the investigating stays open-minded and uses the evidence to form a conclusion rather than sort of trying to shape evidence to f fit the yeah. conclusion. That's so, um, wow. I cannot even imagine how the family must have felt, not only in this case, but how many cold cases are there where the suspect dies and that's it? Yeah. You, or you suspect that your daughter, wife, sister, mother, brother, father, whoever is dead, or you know the person is dead, but you only have a suspicion and th there's just no possibility of closure, which is... Heartbreaking. Awful. Time goes by, years pass, and in 2002, Wolfgang Silaf is retired. And guess what? He's like many people who are suddenly retired and uh, have time to fill up. And he can't accept that he doesn't know what happened to his sister. Is she dead? Was Wichmann the murderer? Where is her body? He wants answers. And now he has the time, and he connects with a couple of forensic and psychological experts. And together they start their very professional and highly educated form of sleuthing. They go through all the evidence, well, they go through the stuff that is still archived, which isn't a lot, because police got rid of most of the evidence, which is oh, unbelievable okay. in my opinion. The car is gone, all the, everything is gone, everything, except for the pair of handcuffs. They are still somewhere in a university clinic where they were sent in to, you know. Yeah. Evidence. As evidence, yeah, to check on the evidence. Yeah. But they go through all the protocols and they go through all the theories. They also go to Wichmann's house. So Wichmann's wife died in 2006 
her second husband, or no, I think her third husband, she was married before Wichmann already, the man she married after Wichmann, he still lives there, or he still lived there, and he lets them in. And guess what? The secret room still exists. The new owner hasn't used it or changed a lot. And they search the room again, even more meticulous, and they find a lot of these kind of secret hiding spots behind the wood paneling and stuff. And they find more stuff, they find more newspaper articles, they find some about the Gerder murders. They find a secret escape route out of that room, like a hatch that leads to a rope that leads to the garage. Uh, something it could have been actually something like a, a last exit thing for committing suicide, but I don't know. I, to yeah. me, it sounded like, uh, you know, an escape, an escape route. Yeah, I agree. Like he was prepared for the police showing up at his doorstep, right? Yeah, this is a man who probably backed his fast cars into the garage. So he could just open the door and go. And then nothing. Again, years pass and... Then it's 2015, and a new police chief is appointed in Lüneburg, and Wolfgang Silaf tries his luck once more. He meets with him, he tells him everything they found out, and indeed, the investigations in the Birgit Meyer case are restarted. And as I said before, they can locate the handcuffs that were found in the secret room 22 years ago, in 1993, and the handcuffs showed possible traces of blood. And now the forensic techniques are way more advanced. This tiny dot, not bigger than a pinhead, is indeed blood. And it's not only blood, it's Birgit Meyer's blood. But still, where's her body? Uh, then they have an idea. They open up seven, six or seven graves at the cemetery where Wichmann has worked as a gardener. Graves that were fresh uh, around Birgit's disappearance, which is very smart. Very smart. Uh, there's nothing... The psychologist is sure Kurt Werner Wichmann would bury Birgit's body in a spot he could easily control, where nobody would find her by accident. So, the house. The house, yeah. But, well, they'd already been there, right? With cadaver dogs and done a search? Yeah, but the cadaver dogs did not only alarm at the trunk of the buried car, there was at least one other spot where they signaled uh, in the basement... Oh. But yeah, it was no further investigation because Wichmann had committed suicide. Right. It's now 2016 and the house is searched again. Where could Birgit's body possibly be? They are, again, searching the house, the property, the surrounding area. <sighs> they find nothing and they can't start digging up and, and, you know, breaking down all this concrete. So they have yeah. to really be sure where they should start looking. So they try to go at it with logic and they walk through the house, through the property, and they look for possible spots. Where would you bury a person? Where would it make sense? And then they realize that one of the spots could be a pit in the garage. You know, this kind of pits uh, yeah. where you park your car above and then you can stand under the car for repair work, these kind of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This pit was not deep enough to stand under it. This pit has a depth of under a meter, so under 3.2 feet, which is super weird. Yeah, those, you'd have to be lying down under it. Those pits aren't legal here. You still see them in older home uh, garages, but I think that in order to get around um, having it, because it's like your homeowner's insurance almost won't cover you if you have one and use it because they're so dangerous. 
So people that we know that have them call them like a fruit seller, but you're just better off these days getting a lift. Garage Mahal has taught me much, but <sighs> this, yeah, it seems too shallow for it to be like a mechanic squeeze pit, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe the pit was deeper, but something or somebody was placed in there and then, you know, put oh. in another level of concrete above it. So yeah, they think that could be the place. That could be the place where Wichmann has buried Birgit Meyer. So carefully, carefully, they start to break up and remove the concrete. And there it is. It's a human bone. The first bone is a tiny bone from a foot. And more and more bones than a female pelvic bone. And then a skull and a plastic bag. And the skull has an earring left. And then Wolfgang and Harald recognize the earring. Because it belongs to Birgit. It's earrings that Harald had gifted to his wife decades ago. And now more than 27 years after her disappearance, they have found the body of Birgit Meyer. Oh, wow. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm really glad that they found her, but what a terrible way to have found her. Her head was in a plastic bag. Was she decapitated? No, so it looks like Birgit Meyer was shot in the head. And it's possible that he had placed a plastic bag over her head to either strangle her, suffocate her, or, you know, to, to not have her blood everywhere. Right, sure. And then I guess that, you know, he buried her just like that and that the head just got detached through decomposition. Yeah. And so the murder of Birgit Meyer is somewhat solved. I mean, they don't know the details, the whys and hows, but... Wolfgang Silaf is sure Wichmann is the suspect in other crimes. And one of them, the Gerda murders. Not just because newspaper clippings and a videotape with the, you know, Aktenzeichen XY ungelöst episodes about the murders on them. They also figure out that shortly before the murders, Wichmann had published a classified in a pornographic magazine looking for couples to have sex with and meet up in places like the forest, for example. So oh. that might have been how he encountered the two couples, not by chance, not following them from the parking lot, but actually having agreed to meet with them in the Gerda. And let's be clear, we don't know if that's really what happened, but it's it's just one of the theories. Yeah, sure. We're not judging. And we don't really know for sure if he was even the Gerda murderer, right? Like, there's no... Well... Or, was, or do we know? Remember last week I told you that uh, hair and other DNA material was found in Bernd Michael Köpping's car, the car that the murderer drove around for several days after the murders? Well, it turned out that it was Kurt Werner Wichmann's DNA, and investigators are convinced that Wichmann was indeed responsible for the Gerde murders. They also investigate his possible connections to over 200 other crimes involving 24 murders, rape, break-ins, <sighs> Uh, they did completely dig up every possible spot in the house and on the property. And one thing is for certain, there were no more bodies hidden in the house. But what they found is clothing, wallets, jewelry, shoes, glasses, <sighs> so much stuff. Possibly the belongings of other victims. And there are still a lot of families out there who need answers and who might finally get them. All thanks to a retired law enforcement officer who just didn't want to stop looking for his sister. Wow. There's just one last question left. Did Wichmann commit the crimes alone? 
Or did he have an accomplice? Remember last week we talked about how he got to the crime scenes and he clearly left with his victim's cars. And in this episode I mentioned the neighbor who heard the running motor of a car parked outside. So was someone waiting in the car? Was someone waiting for Wichmann and his victim Birgit Meyer? Definitely creepy to think about. And there are that's so many crimes. For some reason I keep thinking of the Golden State Killer. Like you know how he started off just sort of ransacking and then kind of peeping and just escalated, escalated, escalated. And that's so many crimes that they think he's possibly been a part of. Now, have they been able to say conclusively if he's guilty of anything else? Or do they just think it's possible that he's responsible? And I think so far they haven't come up with, with real evidence that connects him to other crimes. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of theories about him committing the other crimes. Wow. That is such a disturbing story. And you just wonder how many more victims are out there because you know mm -hmm. there have to be quite a few. So many. And he was so arrogant in the way he committed the, the crimes apparently. And the, the thing that I was thinking, it fits his character that he was driving around in the car of the victim of the Gerda murders. Yeah. He's he's a very Bundy-like character. Very Bundy-like, you're, you're right. I think because he was kind of handsome. Yeah, In this charming. kind of 80s way. And yeah. Wow. So horrible. So it's horrible. It's awful. Wow. I had never heard about that case, so... So yeah, if you want to know more in-depth detail, especially about Kurt Werner Wichmann's past and his family and his brother and stuff like that, watch Dig Deeper. It's, it's a four-episode documentary. Can highly recommend it. I don't know. I think it's available on Netflix USA with subtitles, I guess. I'll have to take a look. Do you have something good? Yeah. I What I was going to use last week before I went off on a wild tangent about my old BMW with fabric seats. It's just what a really lovely time I had with my family who were visiting. It went by way too quickly, but it was great. And I also just wanted to send a big thank you to one of my close friends, Misty, who was a huge, huge help to me this past week. Uh, Paul had to go out of town, and so she was a godsend. How about you? What's up? Uh, my something good this week uh, will be on Thursday. I'm going to watch a very special musical in a very special location. My friend from Hamburg is in Vienna, and she invited me to go see the musical Elisabeth, which is performed just for a couple of dates in front of Schönbrunn Castle. For those of you who don't know the musical, it's uh, it's Austrian, I think German co-production uh, about Empress Elizabeth I of Austria-Hungary. I've seen the musical several times. I love it. So good. But I only ever saw it in the theater, never in this special performance. And I'm so excited. I think it will be wonderful. Amazing. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to hear all about it. It looks gonna like tell it's you going all to about be it. <laughs> so just unforgettable. Yeah, it's going to be great. All right. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, we would be so, so grateful if you would please take a moment to leave us a rating or review. It helps other people find us and it really helps us. It just helps for us to show up out there, basically. You know, if you're browsing, trying to find a new podcast. For other information, if you want to know how to get in touch with us, if you have something that you want to mail to us, um, no live crabs, please. We've Please stop. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, you can find all that out on our website, and it is freshhellpodcast.com. 
And you can email us at freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. Come say hello in our Facebook group because it's the best. It's just the nicest group of people on the internet, I promise. It's a really great spot to be. So come join so that we can talk about our pets, old houses that are on the market, Patreon. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday the 29th, then tonight is game night. And we Mm -hmm. hope you will join us if you are in the murder tier. We play Cards Against Humanity once a month. And if you go to the Patreon feed, you're going to find links as to how to join the game. And a little tutorial is, is somewhere floating around in the Patreon feed explaining how to play. So we hope you'll join us because that's always really fun. Oh, our merch you will also find on our website. You can check that out or you can go to teespring.com and type in Fresh Hell Podcast. We reached my my personal goal of being in the top 10. You pushed us to, pushed us to top 5 in the podcast magazine Hot 50. So you can stop voting now. You don't have to. You can still vote for us. Go to podcastmagazine.com slash hot 50. Vote daily for your top 3 favorite, bestest, most lovely podcasts that are out there. And uh, yeah, let's see if we can reach number one. Also, podcast awards starting from Friday. Go to podcastawards.com and there you're going to find the poll with all the podcasts in there. We should be, if everything went according to plan, we should be in three categories. Best true crime, best female hosted and best history. So you can vote for us there. Use a valid email address. That's very important because after a month, voting will go into the second round and uh, random listeners will be picked. You will get an email if they pick you randomly and you will vote for the next round. So that's very, very important. Don't use a fake spam email address. We need you. And they don't spam you. It's not like... No, they don't. I don't think... Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no problem with any of that. But you have to use a real email because... If the people that you vote for, because there's all kinds of categories. So if all mm-hmm. the people you vote for, hopefully including us, you might get uh, uh, only a small percentage get an email saying, hey, yeah. you're going to vote in the next round. So make As sure like, you give Last an year, we had like three or four people in the Facebook group telling us they, they got an email. So and that's why yeah. I thought for sure we'd lose. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, so we'll get three votes. So that's why I want to make sure that you really know, check your emails at the end of July. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. All right. And that's it. Tell your pets we said hi. We love them. We miss them. Cuddle them. Hug them. Keep them cool or warm. I was going to say, don't don't take them in your car anymore. It's too hot. Don't. Don't leave them in your car. Take care of them. We love them. Take care of yourself, be kind to your fellow human beings, but be also kind to yourself, which is sometimes the hardest of it all. It's the worst. Yeah. And for sure. that's it. That's all. And as always, we remind you that if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. See you next week. <laughs>